passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Third base. Is it really as bad as everybody says it is? Yes, I actually think so. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball. Today on Wednesday, February 16th, I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Oh yeah, third base breakdown today. You can just hear the excitement in my voice. Strategy, ADP review, sleepers, breakouts, busts, and more. Hello, Christopher. We'll start with you. We go from maybe the best position on yesterday's podcast in shortstop to one of the worst. What is your strategy at third base? Do you place more of a priority on this position early on in your drafts? Not really, because there are a couple of guys in the like 90 to 100 range. There are three in particular who I'm pretty likely to draft if they're at an advantageous spot. And if not... I have waited to fill my third base spot with, I mean, Justin Turner was a starter in one league. I think I went with like Justin Turner and Eduardo Escobar in like the 19th and 22nd rounds or something in a, in a draft we did not that long ago. So no, I, I don't necessarily love the prices for a lot of the like second tier or third tier third baseman. So unless I get Jose Ramirez or, you know, maybe Rafael Devers, I'm I'm more likely to wait on the position. Yeah, I think that you are you're you're kind of at the mercy of the draft, right? So if you have a an early if you have a mid or, or late second round pick, then sure you can wind up with a Rafael Devers or Manny Machado. But if you pass on those guys, chances are they're probably not going to be there in the third round. So you have to make that decision. Obviously if you want Jose Ramirez, you have to be lucky enough to have a top five or six pick. And then of course you could draft him as well. Uh, but really it just comes down to your draft positioning. Or of course, if you play in a salary cap draft an auction draft, uh, you can just bid on whatever third baseman you want. And I'd love to get one of the top three guys, uh, as you will learn throughout the course of this entire podcast. Scotty, I personally view Alex Bregman, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rendon as the end of the last tier that I realistically want at this position. How important is it that you get one of those top nine-ish third basemen this upcoming season? Well, I see those three more as fallbacks because they don't feel as secure as the six who come ahead of them. I, I really draw... I, I guess there are separate cutoffs, obviously, right? But the, the big cutoff for me is actually at six which ends with uh, Nolan Arenado. And unlike Chris, I am like I, I am playing the position scarcity game at third base, unlike I have in 
maybe like a decade. Like I'm I'm thinking back to the 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 glory years of Troy Tulowitzki and Hanley Ramirez when shortstop was always such a pitiful position in fantasy. You know, things have changed a lot, obviously, since then. But like that was kind of the inspiration for the the tiers approach in the first place was just there was the positions used to be so uneven and uh, the juice ball era, the fly ball revolution, it kind of evened them up in more recent years so that you didn't really have to approach things that way anymore. You know, I, I don't know how much of it has to do with the ball change. I mean, just a couple years ago, third base was this amazingly deep position. And I think a lot of factors have led to it 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 being turned on its head in the span of only like two years. Uh, but one of it is the ball. And um, yeah, I just, I don't, I, I, I probably am willing to take any of like uh, Austin Riley, Nolan Arenado, uh, maybe Rafael Devers around earlier than maybe the, the pure numbers, all positions being even would suggest you should. Because anytime I haven't and I've been forced to make do with whatever's left at the position, things go very badly. <laughs> things go very badly for me. Because like even even with like Alex Bregman and and Anthony Rendon, it's and Chris Bryant, sure. It's still earlier than you'd like it to be. Like there, there you can't get you can't get a bargain at third base. It's just it's not available to you. So it's just are you willing to pay up for n- numbers you're confident in or are you going to pay up for numbers you're not confident in? Uh, and and that's kind of what it boils down to for me. Yeah, truly, you you want one of the top three at the position. I think that we would probably say that about any position, but more so third base than any other one. If you can get your hands on a Jose Ramirez, yeah. a Rafael Devers, or Manny Machado, it's something that I would love to do this upcoming yeah, season. Even, so. even Jose Ramirez, I, I end up moving ahead of some of the other first-rounders because he's third base, yeah. because that's what he plays. Yeah, so let's talk about that. We'll, we'll start with Jose Ramirez, of course. We'll talk about specifically those top nine third basemen that I referenced, all of whom are going inside the top 100 picks according to Fantasy Pro's average draft position. And we start with J-Ram, Jose Ramirez. The ADP is 4.5. He's going in the middle of the first round. He is 29 years old, still in his prime. He had that blip from the end of 2018 to the you know, first half of 2019. But outside of that, the guy has been money. Last year, 266 batting average, 36 homers, 111 runs scored, 103 RBI, 27 steals. His 134 steals since the start of 2016 are the seventh most in baseball. That is something that makes him so, so valuable as well. In Roto, category leagues, not just getting the steals, getting out of position steals and getting an abundance of them as well when it comes to Jose Ramirez. And he's great in points leagues too. The plate discipline still remains elite. So Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, I assume that you're comfortable using a top five or six pick on Jose Ramirez. Would you maybe push him up into the top three to assure that you get the best third baseman in the game? Uh, Yeah, he's my number four player in head-to-head points. And I believe he's number four or five in Roto. He's number five in Roto, four in in head-to-head points. And it's not... I have him, yeah. It's not really a third bases shallow thing for me. It's... Jose Ramirez is just a freaking stud. Part of it is 
you know, yeah, I would rather pay the premium for him than anyone else at the position that you're going to have to pay the premium for if you're going to pay the position premium. But it's also, there are not many true five category studs and Jose Ramirez. Okay. Maybe he's not a batting average stud. Maybe he's more like a C plus in batting average. Your, your average, uh, your average fantasy player hit about 261 last season fantasy starters and he hit 266. So he might be a little above average, but he's a, a superstar everywhere else. So he's a, a, an A to A plus contributor in runs, home runs, RBI, stolen bases. And so, you know, that alone makes him, you know, one of the most valuable players in fantasy, regardless of whether there are other good third basemen available. Nobody comes close to what he's capable of. Yeah, surely. Uh, You're 100% right about that. I remember last year we were, or at least I was, I don't want to put words in, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I, I feel like collectively the industry was a little bit worried about Jose Ramirez because, they trade away Francisco Lindor, and you look at the rest of that lineup, and you're like, oh, you know, it's 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 pretty bad. But, man, um, he, he made yeah. the most of the opportunity here. Uh, I do remember having to talk people off that ledge multiple times last year, now that you mention it. But, yeah, no, yeah. I mean... 214 runs plus RBI. I mean, that is a truly elite mm-hmm. mark in one of the worst lineups in baseball. So that is just a testament to truly how good Jose Ramirez was. Yeah, when you get on base you know, 230 to 240 times a year and you hit 70 extra base hits per year and you steal bases efficiently and do all those things, like you're going to get the counting stats, whether it's, I don't know, maybe in a better lineup, he gets 115 runs and 110 RBI. But, you know, for the most part, a player's, you know, lineup, the biggest impact that a player's lineup has is how many plate appearances they get. Players tend to own their production more or less. Now that fluctuates from one year to year, from one player to the next, but generally speaking, most of a player, you know, 90% is the, is the number I've, I've seen in, in various studies, comes down to just what a player himself does, regardless of team context. And, you know, then there's park factors and all that stuff, but none and, of and that's I, negative for him. And I think that's especially true when you got a profile like Ramirez, a guy who can get on base on his own. Um, well, he's on base a lot. I mean, so it doesn't run into outs and he, and he doesn't, and, and he can hit the ball out of the park. You know, a lot of guys get run in RBI production and it's, it's clear that like, if you remove them from that context, it might not go as well, but like, yeah. it, like Ramirez has the kind of profile that sustains itself and, and yep. it's now proven it doesn't run into outs on the base paths, doesn't really ground into a lot of double plays. He just, he, he, he doesn't take things away from himself and the RBI thing. He puts the ball in play a ton and that, that helps you rack up RBIs because even when you don't get a hit, you know, if you've got a guy on third, you've got a chance to drive in a run. If you put the ball in play, especially since he's such a fly ball, heavy player. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'll add on Jose Ramirez, he hit 266 last year, which again, it doesn't hurt your batting average in a Roto Categories League, but his XBA, according to StatCast, was 284. That was his best mark since 2017, so I wouldn't project that. I wouldn't expect it, but there's a chance. There's a chance that he's a better uh, batting average contributor this upcoming season than he was last year. We move on to the second round, and that includes Rafael Devers and Manny Machado. Devers going at pick 17.0 and Manny Machado at pick 22.8. Scott, I know towards the end of the season, we, you know, had a bit of a debate 
uh, figuring out whether to take Rafael Devers versus Manny Machado. They're both really, really good. And I, I would be happy to get either one of those. Where do you fall on that side of the coin? Rafael Devers versus Manny Machado. Yeah, so I ended up siding with the consensus with Devers because, well, I mean, I guess him being so young, there, there's the chance, there's this possibility of untapped potential. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's hard to criticize Machado's track record, obviously. And he was, according to Stackhouse, one of the biggest underachievers last year, 295 XBA versus 278 BA, 531X slug versus 489 slug. And, and really, the main thing, like, he had, he had a dozen steals. And it wasn't his best steal season. It wasn't his worst steal season. But there are often a relevant number of steals from Manny Machado. And there have rarely been there, – there's rarely been that from Rafael Devers. And at a time when people are elevating 12 to 15 steals, what seems like a modest number of stolen bases, more than ever before, like, those guys are getting pushed up sometimes – 40 spots ahead of guys with uh, comparable stats otherwise. It's it's a little weird to me that that more people aren't in favor of ranking Machado ahead of Devers. But it's it's a close call. You know, if I was picking at the 2-3 turn and Devers was still there, I'd probably take something else and, and hope to get Machado with my third pick. So, you know, I, I guess I don't expect to have many shares of Devers because of that. But yeah, I guess Devers slightly ahead for me. Here's a statistic. So the the average production from a first place team per uh, lineup spot last season among 14 hitters in Roto leagues was 272 average, 25 homers, 80 runs, 77 RBI, 11 steals. That was the average production from your first average first place team. The only nine hitters to hit those marks in each category were Fernando Tatis, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Paul Goldschmidt, Kyle Tucker, Bo Bichette, Tyler O'Neill, Teoscar Hernandez, and Manny Machado. Pretty good. There you go. That's legit five-category production. You know, obviously, 12 steals, you know, just barely gets you over the hump of that 11-steal mark, but still, he's Mm -hmm. a legitimate five-category contributor. And that was with him seemingly... Underperforming, yeah. What yeah. what uh, what the data said he should have done. So that's, yeah. I mean, Machado's been a first round type player many years. He's actually going slightly later than he was last season. Yeah, there you go. Which is, I think people look at the the face value stats here, the surface stats, and maybe just gets pushed down ever so slightly from where he was last year because of that. But Scott, you referenced the expected numbers were much better for Manny Machado. The home run to fly ball rate, especially curious for me, dropped from 20% in the short in 2020 to 14% last year. And he actually hit the ball way harder, not just on average, like whenever he would put the ball in play. When he hit fly balls and line drives, 96.8 mile per hour average exit velocity on those batted balls, 18th best in baseball. That is an elite mark, and his home run to fly ball ratio went down. So it's just kind of curious. I think that there's a, a chance that Machado bounces back in a big way. He hits you know 285 plus, 30 to 35 home runs, and obviously all the counting stats and the steals. However, Chris, what do you think about this? Because... As long as Jace Tingler was the manager of the Padres, they would run. They were very aggressive on the base pass. He came from the Rangers organization. If you followed the Rangers the past couple of years, they've been very aggressive on the base paths as well. 
Jace Tingler is no longer the manager of the San Diego Padres. It is now Bob Melvin. And while Bob Melvin was with the Oakland A's from 2011 to 2021, this is a huge sample size. So I'm not sure this is even sticky or it's even fair to compare between organizations. Um, But the Oakland A's ranked 24th in steals. So does that influence you at all? That maybe we see the steals go down for the entire Padres team. That that one's tough because... You know, the Oakland A's are, are famously a pretty analytically heavy team, and that might just be a reflection of an organizational standard that, you know, he was adhering to. But yeah, Machado's at that point in stolen bases where, you know, you go from one every 12 games to one every 16 games or something like that, and all of a sudden you're going from 12 to 8. Maybe he sprains an ankle, doesn't run for a month, all of a sudden you're down to like 5, and then yeah, it... It's not hard to go from, hey, he gives you a little something in stolen bases to, well, he's not really doing much for you. And it could just be like, what did he run? 16 times last season? 15. 15 times. It could also just be he goes, you know, 9 for 15 instead of 12 for 15. That's a tiny, that's a minuscule difference in the grand scheme of things. And all of a sudden, yeah, it, you know, it starts to look a little less great. So... That's probably the one place that you feel least comfortable with with Machado. I think batting average would probably be the other one. But, you know, I would probably rather draft him coming off, you know, I don't know, a down year, but his his value has stayed the same or gone down a little bit rather than Devers, who I love. I drafted a ton of Devers last year, but he's going two rounds higher this season than last year. I thought he was an obvious value last year. Now, you know, 17th overall or wherever he is, is just a teeny tiny bit rich for a guy who in a best case scenario is a four category guy. We finally get uh, to Austin Riley, who's going in the fourth round. He has an ADP of 46.3, turns 25 years old in early April. He was awesome last year, 23rd overall in Roto. He averaged 3.1 fantasy points per game. That was tied for fourth best at the position. A 303 batting average, 33 homers, 91 runs, 107 RBI. Uh, Scott, he hit a bunch of line drives, 10th best among qualified hitters. But with that, you know, the BABIP was still very high. It was 368, third highest in baseball. Obviously, that correlates with the line drive rate, but uh, I think it's fair to expect some regression in the BABIP, in the batting average in general. Maybe he's more of like a 280 hitter than a 303 hitter, which would still be a very, very solid player. But Mm -hmm. just, you know, I think in terms of what he did last year, the natural expectation should be we're going to regress these numbers a little bit moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And Austin Riley... And Nolan Arenado both. Uh, when I was, you know, first going through each player individually, making out my rankings at the start of the offseason, I looked at them and said, you know what, I'm probably going to be behind the consensus on these guys. But then the the position just forced my hand, and it, it looks like I'm actually ahead of the consensus because of that that position scarcity aspect. Like I don't want to be the one left uh, left out. And scrounging all season to get adequate production at the position. So, you know, even understanding that Austin Riley, you know, it's unlikely he's going to hit 380 again, or 300 again. Maybe it'll be more like 280, 30 plus homers. Yeah, I think you can go ahead and pencil him in for that. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. 
you know, Nolan Arenado, I know we're not to him yet, but I don't, I don't really see him bouncing back much, if at all, in batting average after hitting around, I think it was like 255 his first season out of Colorado. Yep. I just think his batted ball profile outside of that BABIP inflating environment with the thin air and the giant outfields, um, you know, he, he sells out pretty hard for power. And you'll take it. You'd rather have the power than than some. You'd rather have the thirty plus homers than you know a two eighty batting average. But I don't think there's much room for the batting average to improve for him outside of Colorado. I think it's 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 kind of the Mike Mike Mustakas formula for success for Nolan Arenado now, and uh, really limits his upside. So I'm I'm not I'm not expecting. I, I'm I'm expecting a small step back for Riley, and I'm not expecting any kind of step forward for Nolan Arenado. And yet, I will possibly take Riley at the end of round three. I'll possibly take Arenado at some point in round five, just so I don't have to worry about the position anymore. Chris, I think it's a dangerous game that we play when we elevate players because of position scarcity. Uh, I'm not saying that it's the wrong thing to do. I mean... There have been drafts where I'll, I'll see where Austin Riley goes or Arenado, and I just don't want to draft them at their cost. You know, there's been drafts where, again, Riley goes at the end of round three or Arenado will go in round five. And we'll get to Arenado in, in, in just a second here. Uh, but, you know, if, if you don't do that, the alternatives are, you know, you might wind up with someone like Justin Turner or uh, Yoan Moncada as your starting third baseman later on. So I see both sides of it, but. I just feel like we're paying a premium now for Austin Riley going in this like fourth round range. And it's personally not something that I see myself doing. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think Austin Riley is, is one of the more obvious fades for me in this range. And it's not necessarily that I think he's bad. You know, you look at the underlying numbers for last season, they largely back up what he did. You know, he, he was a, an, a well above average hitter based on his expected stats. But this is one situation where, it does just feel like something I, I, I try to talk about pretty regularly is the idea of just guys get hot. And it's not like the underlight. It's not, you know, one of these situations where like it was a total fluke that Austin Riley hit this well. He really did hit this well last season. I just don't necessarily trust the skill set to be consistent from year to year. And, you know, there there was a little bit of worrisome signs towards the end of last season if you basically from september 1st on including the playoffs he struck out 34 percent of the time that's my concern is that like he had this really really awful stretch in the playoffs where he struck out and goes 25 times in 68 plate appearances and that doesn't show up in the overall numbers and so he's got this you know really solid 25 percent strikeout rate but was that a situation where maybe he just got cold or maybe he just avoided the kind of stretches that could derail a player of his type. And it just happened to be at the time when we don't group that in with his overall numbers. And so that's my concern with him is just that I think there are going to be stretches in his career for the player he is where he's just lost. We saw that, uh, you know, was it? It was 2019. Yeah, 29. He, in 2020, he actually had an even better strikeout rate than last year. It was only yeah. 23.8. But yeah, yeah. He, he, um, he got very hot when he first got called up in 2019. I think it was like nine home runs in his first 18 games. And then basically did nothing but strike out yeah. the rest of the time he was up. Obviously, he's developed a lot since then. Uh, or else... Yeah. you know, I just nope. think like, you know, maybe the 272, 827 OPS, maybe that's more what he's like. 
mm-hmm. the, you know, the overall career numbers rather than what he was last season. And, you know, maybe that makes him more of a, you know, just a guy at the third base position where, you know, what is that? That's, that's the thing. What is just a guy at the third base position? Cause just a guy sounds like, um, yeah, not, I not could something see... that many people are going to have at third base this year. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But like, I could see his overall production not being that much more impactful than Justin Turner's. You know, obviously Justin Turner's age and his injury history and even someone like Josh Donaldson, I think you could say the same thing. I think those guys could be around as good as him, but obviously the the playing time concerns drop them a lot below him. But that's that's maybe why I'm less willing to pay the premium for Austin Riley. Yeah, and, and that's, again, that that's what comes with... The, elevating players because of position scarcity for what you guys both touched on there. He might just be, he might be just a guy, but that is helpful at the third base position because obviously it's a very bad position, but in a vacuum, if you're talking about the end of the third round, early fourth round, I mean, you might wind up taking Austin Riley over someone like Aaron judge or Jordan Alvarez, who is, they're going to be in my mind much better and they're much more proven than they weren't last year. It's worth no. Right. That's true. Right. Austin Riley was not just a guy last year. And for what it's worth, I don't think he's just a guy. Moving no, I, I don't. No, like I agree with that, too. Yeah, I just a guy being like an average starting first baseman rather than a you know They're replacement level guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do think it's because because I mean, like. I was just referring to like 10 years ago when when I was approaching when I was uh, treating a position elevating a position because of scarcity like I am third base. So, you know, it's been a long time. People forget how impactful it could be. Cause, and, and so it's worth reminding everybody that you have to look at it, how, how, how you compare at this position versus how all of your opponents compare at the position versus how this player compares in production to all the players going around him. Uh, you are trying to get as many advantages as you can across your entire lineup. And if somebody like Riley or even Arenado can give you a clear advantage over half the league, you know, it may not be a clear advantage. We may get a best case scenario from somebody like Bregman or Rendon or even like Matt Chapman and Yon Moncada, you know, if, if, if two or three of those guys bounce back in a significant way, then the advantage is, is lessened. I'll grant you that, but that's, that's asking a lot. That's asking a lot. So, I, you know, it's, it's kind of the same reason why it's not to the same extent, but it's kind of the same reason why I like Salvador Perez at catcher so much this year is it's just, it's, you're so clearly getting an advantage over your competition with that pick. I don't think it's as clear that you're getting it with somebody like Riley, but it's it's one of the few places in the entire player pool where you can you can look at the distribution of of talent and say, okay, this this advantage looks pretty black and white to me. Yeah, and I think overall, Scott, you're right about that from a third from a the third base perspective. 
But that's why I'd rather put more of an emphasis on, on making sure I get one of those second round guys, right? Because I know clearly those guys sure. are going to give you an advantage. And, and it probably just comes down to how you feel about Austin Riley. If you think that he is a difference maker, again, like I feel like we're probably, you know, talking down Riley too much. I still think he's a really good player. I just, I don't like the cost personally in, in the fourth round. And this is more of like a, fantasy philosophy kind of thing but last year I loved Riley and he was going outside the top 200 and oh, yeah. now he's going inside Obviously, the top 50 so it's sure. it's hard yeah, for that. me to like get over that and, and now use a top 50 pick on him when as just as a general rule of thumb like betting against that type of player usually works out like in the long run you'll profit betting against the guy who jumps up 200 spots in ADP. And I, I, you know, one thing about the position scarcity thing that I, that I, you know, not to get too bogged down in this spot in the podcast, although right. that's what we do right. uh, in these position previews, but I think it's an important and interesting discussion yeah, no, is sure. the the position scarcity game. The thing about that is you never want to be stuck fighting last year's war or the last war, I guess would be, you know, like you know, the French in preparation for World War II built this huge trench uh, system in the place where they got invaded during World War One. <laughs> and so what happened during World War II is they just went around it. Mm. And so, you know, that's the concern is that you're prepping for something that may not happen. And so third base may just be really shallow. Or maybe Anthony Rendon and Alex Bregman just had down years. Like maybe Anthony Rendon just hurt his hip. And he'll be fine. You know, he was really good the year before. All the underlying metrics were still really good. Mm. Maybe DJ LeMayhew bounces back and hits 310. And so that's always the concern for me is putting a premium on it, acknowledging it and being aware of it and and maybe even drafting with that in mind, I think makes sense. But like with Riley putting such a premium on it, on a guy who I still think is a pretty big question mark, that's where I, I... I lose the stomach for it a little bit. It's it's not well. It's not that I think he's bad. It's mm-hmm. just that like you look at guys being drafted around him and he's going ahead of Pete Alonso, right? Like someone who we're all pretty excited about, and we know that he has pretty massive upside too. Like to me, that's yeah. that's kind of crazy. Well, I but Austin Riley was better than Pete Alonso last year. He was. Like is he, is he? But is he likely to be better than Nick Castellanos? Uh, well, or, it depends where Castellano signs. I, I to a I, certain extent, but I, yeah, like I think pass, it does a lot. But I think the thing is like passing on him, passing on Castellanos, or taking Riley ahead of Castellanos, or Teoscar Hernandez, one of those guys who could give you legitimate five category production, or Byron Buxton, who I think just has much more upside. You know, it's not just about the third base position; it's also about trying to put together the best team you possibly can, and so. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's where I, that's a big part of it. I I don't want to belabor the point, but I have a counter to both of the thoughts you guys brought up, Chris, and and with regard to not fighting last year's battles, I hear what you're saying. And I mean, I, it kind of backfired with me, um, on me last year with the, with the starting pitcher thing. It was kind of fighting the previous two years battles, but Mm -hmm. nonetheless, the environment changed drastically and I was, left holding the bag. But I look at third base and we'll get to him more. We'll, we'll talk about it more. We get to sleepers, breakouts and busts. And I don't see a lot of ways that the position can improve. I, I think there are four players who drastically underperformed and maybe, maybe some of them will bounce back to some extent, but there aren't a lot of up and comers who can, who can step in and, and claim the mantle if, if they don't. 
And then with regard to targeting a second round third baseman, Frank, like Rafael Devers or Manny Machado, uh, the reason I haven't been as inclined to do that is because the first and second round are where you can get a huge p- advantage at every single position. Like at all the players going in that range are stand out so much from the crowd at, at each of their respective positions that I kind of don't want to pass up the opportunity to get a, a more a more obvious advantage at, in the outfield or at shortstop or first base or wherever, uh, which, which I would have to do if I took Devers or, or Machado. So I'm not saying I wouldn't take Devers and Machado in round two, but it pretty much would have to be the 2-3 turn for me. But that's where I disagree, Scott, because if you think that Devers and Machado are worthy of returning second-round value, which they've done consistently now in their fantasy baseball careers, then why wouldn't you target them over an outfielder or another position? Because, again, it's the same reason that you just spoke about targeting Austin Riley, is that you don't want to mm-hmm. be left there without well, one of those third basemen. Uh, like, if, yeah. if, and it depends on the guy, too. Like, I just have a lot more trust in Endeavors and Machado living up to their draft well, costs in the second I, round. I guess... I guess. Teoscar Hernandez versus Aaron Judge versus George Springer. Who's really going to be the better of those next year? I have no idea. And yet they're going between rounds three and five. I, I think there's a good chance Machado endeavors are better than Riley. But I, I, I'm talking about Riley versus what half the league is going to be starting at third base. Right. Know? But I think part of it is also, I think Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, and uh, Aaron Judge are probably all going to be better than Austin Riley. Yeah, but that's a different position. So it, it's really right. you're comparing positions against themselves, and and a lot of it comes down to like which version of the which permutation of the position combination you end up getting. Because like it's possible that Mookie Betts falls uh, below uh, Rafael Devers, in which case it doesn't matter which third baseman I get. I'm going to be happy that I have Mookie Betts instead of Rafael Devers. You know, right? I'm probably going to prefer to have Freddie Freeman over Rafael Devers, and it doesn't really yeah. matter which other third baseman I get. Yeah. So it, it also depends on where things fall. But if it's like, you know, Luis Robert and Austin Riley or Rafael Devers and George Springer, then that starts to get a little more interesting. And, uh, you know, I think you can go either way on it. I would probably lean the Devers-Springer side, but I also think like Springer might, the, the the potential for Springer to have the Marcus Simeon season is probably being underrated. And so that just, I think Springer is probably just a good value. All right. Well, we are 35 minutes in and we've talked about four third basemen. So, yeah, but they're the only third basemen who matter. Yeah, no. <laughs> we, it, we've look, sprinkled in discussion about other third basemen. Come on. It's a relevant, you know, it's a relevant conversation. Like, no doubt about also, it. I think. You know, the guy who might win stolen bases single-handedly. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We'll get to him in just a second. Before we hit the break, we do have another live mock draft stream this Wednesday when you're likely watching or listening to this. February 16th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This time, it is a Roto slash Categories Startup Dynasty Draft. I know myself, Scott, we're going to be here. Uh, going to try and get a prospect dynasty type guest on as well. So if you'd like to come watch live, hang out, uh, we're doing a Roto Startup Dynasty Draft this Wednesday, uh, today at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on our YouTube channel. Make sure to come check it out. Uh, all right, when we return, we're going to talk about Nolan Arenado, Adalberto Mondesi, and a bunch of other third basemen here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. 
That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, so let's quickly run through Nolan Arenado. The ADP is 57.5, and going into this process, I just assumed that I was going to be in on Nolan Arenado, and the more you look at the numbers, the more it's just, do I really want to do this? I don't know. Look, his first season with the Cardinals, it was solid. 255 batting average, 34 homers, 81 runs, 105 RBI. The counting stats, obviously, are solid. He's been incredibly durable, something I'll give him credit for as well. 155 plus games in each of his last six full seasons. However, first year out of Coors, 255 batting average and 249 BABIP plummeted. I mean, that is way down from his career marks. And we expected that, but to this level, probably not. Personally, I thought he would be more of like a 260, maybe a 270 hitter. But I, I mean, 255 isn't off from too, far off from 260. Sure. To, to be fair to yourself, Frank. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. He kind of reminds me of Austin Riley, where we're just we're elevating him because he plays third base. I I know yes, he's been durable, are. and I just I just don't like but the price tag. And in Arenado's you, case, you present that as if it's an inherent wrong, and I I don't think you should think that way. But in, in Arenado's case, you know, Austin Riley has the underlying numbers to back up what he did. You know, he wasn't quite as good as the underlying numbers, but he was still the underlying numbers suggested he was very very good. The underlying numbers for Nolan Arenado suggested that he was bad, like bad. a well below average hitter in terms of his expected outcomes. Three, 248 XBA, 420 expected slugging. That is a 172 expected isolated slugging percentage, which is pretty average for modern day Major League Baseball, maybe slightly above average and and... He is one of those guys who he basically just does not uh, elevate the ball with authority anywhere but the pull side. He is like Mm -hmm. all down the left field line. And the thing with that is he was 117th out of 132 qualified players in average home run distance. You know, we talked about how that was a red flag with someone like DJ LeMahieu or Kevin Biggio. Obviously, Arenado Arenado hits a lot more home runs than those guys. Um, But yeah, I mean, max home run distance was 408 feet. That is really low. That is actually one of the six lowest among qualified hitters. It's There are some worrying signs with Arenado, and he definitely feels like someone who is wringing the absolute most out of his skill set at this point. And Mm -hmm. I I don't know. He's always been that, though. Like his right, but course field cover ups didn't nearly. Course field really helps you out with that. 
He's never yeah. hit the ball very hard. He's yeah. always put it in the air a ton. But, I mean, I. it's like I said before. It's the Mike Moustakis path to success. When you make a lot of contact like he does, you can get away with a really low. What do you, when you make a lot of contact and you put the ball in the air a ton, you could get a, away with a really low Babbitt because you're a high enough percentage of your hits are home runs and you know you're not giving away at bats with uh with a ton of strikeouts. So um I, I think this is kind of what I was hoping he would be in St. Louis, what he was last yeah. year. And and because he was that, I feel pretty comfortable with it going forward. And the the other thing to point out is his expected home runs were actually thirty eight. So by that measure he might have gotten a little unlucky. Um so I don't know. I, I, he feels like he's a player who there's a very slim margin for error, but he hasn't fallen on the wrong side of it outside of, you know, one bad season. And that was really a bad 60 games. So yeah, he's fine. He, he's fine here. The splits were bad too, for what it's worth. He crushed lefties, which, you know, kind of feeds into him making the most uh, of, you know, his skill set at this point. Mm -hmm. He's not great against righties, and he was much better on the road. Like, he did not play well in, in St. Louis last year. So, look, if you're telling me I could get a two-round discount on Arenado versus Riley, I would rather have Arenado. Uh, based on ADP, they only go one round apart, but I feel like a mm -hmm. lot of the mock drafts we've done, Riley goes in the fourth, maybe even the third, and Arenado goes in the sixth round. I would take the discount there, but if you're telling me they're going one round apart, probably just not going to draft either. Being perfectly honest. Uh, next up, we have Adalberto Mondesi and Alex Bregman in the sixth round. Adalberto Mondesi, the ADP is 66.5. For Bregman, it's 69.8, which is on the rise on Fantasy Pros, uh, mostly because of CBS, where uh, Bregman's ADP is 48. Obviously, you know, we do a lot of points league drafts and a lot of points league mock drafts, so I'm sure that does elevate Alex Bregman quite a bit because he still is a standout in plate discipline despite anything else that's going on with him, the injuries, the fact that his home run production has taken a huge step back the past couple of years. He still is a huge standout in plate discipline. He's got two very polar opposite players, Adalberto Mondesi, uh, his 150-game pace since the start of 2018, 24 homers, 63 steals. Is he ever going to play 150 games? Probably not. So two very different players, what is the format where you draft Adalberto Mondesi in? And uh, what do you think about this price tag for Alex Bregman now in the sixth round? Well, I mean, they they are clearly specialists in opposing formats, right? Sure. Bregman, yeah. Bregman, you 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 I I I treat Bregman as like he's in that same tier with Riley and Arenado in a points league because you know he's gonna get get a big advantage with the plate discipline. Um, and, and then Mondesi, obviously, he's going to have more value in any kind of categories league where steals are rewarded beyond what they are in a points league. So we're talking maybe as much as 10 rounds difference in those two formats for Mondesi where he goes. Um, and, and to be fair, I think if everything goes right for Mondesi, he's probably a stud in points leagues too. Mm-hmm. But you're more willing to roll the dice on the health in a categories league, I feel like, because the steals are like he could be the only steal source you need, basically, if uh, if things go right for him. And uh, that's why I'm more inclined to draft him, particularly now that he's more like a sixth, seventh rounder and in previous years, more like a third, fourth rounder. Uh, 
a, a head-to-head categories league where you know you're cal- you're you're tallying up your score one week at a time. Any week he's healthy, he's going to single-handedly win you that category. It's al- almost a lock that you're going to win that category because of Mondesi. If it ends up being only half the weeks, that's still a pretty big advantage. Yeah, like I, I feel like. I feel like you shouldn't stress so much about the health track record for Mondesi in in head-to-head categories specifically as opposed to Roto, where obviously steals are being calculated over the course of the season and, and you're just you're not if you've if you've built your whole steal strategy around Mondesi and he ends up missing half the season, it's a big problem for you. Chris, for Mondesi, the basic measures that we use to judge a hitter, plate discipline, OPS, WRC plus. He is awful at all of those, but at the same time, he possesses as much upside as as maybe anybody in fantasy baseball. Um, the problem, he hasn't played more than 102 games in the majors. This is typically the profile, or I guess, you know, the risk that you'd be willing to take. Uh, are you willing to do that here in the sixth round? I will say, just for Montessi, I'm much more likely to draft him in a shallower league just because the replacement value is obviously much better there. So I think there are two things that you can point out uh, with Adalberto Mondesi that highlight the the duality of his fantasy value. One, he had as many or more stolen bases in 2020 as 14 major league teams. Teams. It's crazy. Mm. If he was a single team, he would have finished... Tied for 17th in stolen bases in 2020. However, that is the only season in his entire professional career, which dates back to, I believe, 2012. Yeah, when he was 16 years old, (laughs) where he's played more than 127 games paced out. Obviously, he only played 59. He missed one game in that. And now there was one season where I believe he had a performance-enhancing drug suspension that cost him a significant chunk of the season. So it's not like he's gotten injured every single season. It's just every single season except for two in a now 10-year major league or professional career. So I don't know, man. It, like, yeah, I like drafting Byron Buxton when he's significantly discounted because it's like, well, he keeps running into walls and hopefully that won't happen. But Montessi, it's just like, this guy just like literally cannot stay healthy for more than two months at a time. He's just at no point in his professional career has he really ever been able to do that. And so at some point you do have to assume that he just can't. If he plays 140 games, if he plays 130 games, he's a steal at this price because last season to finish in sixth place in stolen bases in your average Roto 12 team Roto league, you needed 82, or, uh, sorry, 102 stolen bases to finish in sixth place. Actually, 97, sorry. If he plays 130 games, he's probably going to steal 50 bases. And if he steals 50 bases, that means you've got to average four stolen bases from the rest of your team to finish in sixth place. If he steals 50 bases, you've got to average about five to get there with the rest of your team to finish in third place. And so... Like you basically, if he does that, you basically don't need to worry about stolen bases. The problem is, can you really draft a team with that in mind without Alberto Mondesi? Because if he does get hurt, 
which seems like the overwhelmingly likely outcome, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Because if you draft more steals and he stays healthy, yeah. then you're then it doesn't matter because you right. have way too many steals. And so it's it's this constant like back and forth. And this is the 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 thing that's really fun about trying to build a roto lineup and and you know figuring out how to to best balance those things. But it's I don't know. It it seems like it's probably not worth the headache, but it's probably one of the more high upside moves you can make in a draft. It's one of the like potential. It's one of like the handful of potential clear, obvious differentiators that you can get on your team. If it works out, I don't know if there's anybody else in baseball actually that can give <laughs> you as much of a clear difference as Adalberto Mondesi can in a Roto league. If he stays healthy. Yep. This is the lowest draft cost we've seen in a while for Adalberto Mondesi, but even with that, everything that we just said about him, I, I'm not going to wind up with Mondesi. So uh, there you go. I don't know that. Maybe I'm just not going to wind up. Him. Maybe I'm just not going to wind up with a third baseman this year because it feels like that's what I'm saying. You know what? He's going to be on my team in TGFBI. That's drafting in a in a few days, right? It starts next Monday. Yeah, uh, I'll have. I'm going to draft Mondesi in, in TGFBI. I hope nobody in my league's listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they might not. Have, you only have so much control over that. Uh, but like, on, honestly, Frank. You say I might not have a third baseman because you don't want Mondesi either. Like that might be the reason I'm cornered into taking Mondesi in a league, right? Is just because, like, thankfully he's not a shortstop anymore. He's a third baseman, so that makes it a little a little easier to stomach too. I, for the most part, I agree with you. Like, I don't see myself drafting much of him. Again, the head-to-head categories format is where that the, the math changes for me. It's the kind of thing where you can't say no. If you're drafting multiple teams, you can't not have him on one of them. There's just, you're trying to win. Like, that's the thing is if you're playing 10 leagues, if you're playing 20, Frank, you're probably going to play 30 leagues this year. And you're trying to win those leagues. Right? I don't I don't think I'm going to have Mondesi on any of them, Chris. You're, But you're trying to win those leagues. There's other ways to do it. It doesn't there have are, to be Mondesi. But like <laughs> having zero of the guy who might steal 75 bases and the second place guy might steal 30. I'll like that's legit. It's legitimately possible that he has 40 more stolen bases than any other player in baseball. I hear you. If you're playing 30 leagues, 20 leagues, 10 leagues, five leagues, just from a game theory perspective, you have to have him on at least one of them. Won't be me. Hashtag never Mondesi. It's not. We've happening. talked about Mondesi too much already, but I do sure. want to mention <laughs> that Dayton Moore said toward the end of last season, they're at the point where they don't feel like they can count on him to be an everyday player anymore. And it's not clear exactly how to interpret that, as in they're not going to try to play him every day or they're just expecting him to get injured at some point. Um, but I, you know, that, that might put a, a limit on how many games he's even capable of playing. It might limit it to only 120 or so, but it might not. I think we're probably on pace for our first two-hour podcast ever, so uh, good, good time to uh, Scott, real quick, Alex Bregman, I know you did a lot of research on this and the fact uh, that the deadening ball has uh, decreased the power of you know guys like Bregman and Rendon and even Francisco Lindor, who we spoke about yesterday. He had 31 homers in 2018, 41 homers in 2019, just 18 home runs in 2020 and 2021 combined. That's 133 games. What, in your opinion... Oh, by the way, he's coming off of wrist surgery, which he had in November. So that could obviously affect power as well. What is a realistic projection expectation for Bregman this upcoming season? 
I think it's 25. I, I'm not willing to project more than that. He was on a 21 homer pace last year. And, you know, because of injuries and stuff, I feel like some of his normal production was off. So I'll, I'll give him a little more than that. But I'm I'm not willing to project 30 again. Clearly not willing to project 40 again. Um, and, and, yeah, I think it's worth stapling Bregman and Rendon together on this because percentile – Exit, average exit velocity, 43rd percentile for Bregman, 40th percentile for Rendon. They're right in that really scary range. Uh, and for what it's worth, Rendon, who missed even more time with injury last year, was only on a 16-homer pace. So, But unlike Bregman, that 43rd or 46th percentile, whatever it was, was a huge outlier for Rendon. He has been you know, a, a well above average you know, average exit velocity guy for most of his career. Has been 80, 86, 87, 81, 72, 71, leading up to 2021 in terms of average exit velocity. Yep. And with Rendon, look, uh, we'll we'll get to him in just a second, but he's just one season removed from having a 915 OPS. I realize that's Mm -hmm. short in 2020, but uh, if you go one season further back, you know, he was amazing in his contract year where he had an OPS over a thousand. So he's getting up there in age. He's 31 years old, uh, but we will get to Rendon in just a second. Chris, maybe the third baseman that I might actually look to target this year is, is the player who I was probably most adamant about not drafting last year. And it's Chris Bryant. His ADP is 86.8. He's going in the eighth round. He's 30 years old. He's currently a free agent. He bounced back in a big way. 265 batting average, 25 homers, 86 runs, 10 steals. The RBI total was lower because he was hitting near the top of the lineup, whether he was playing with the Cubs or with the San Francisco Giants. Um, He had an awesome, awesome April and May. Completely plummeted in June, playing through injury during that time, which is pretty common for Chris Bryant, I will admit. Uh, But then he bounced back a big way the rest of the season as well. So I I feel like of all the players we've talked about, cost versus what they can realistically provide, Chris Bryant kind of feels like the best value of maybe any third baseman that we've talked about in this mid-tier. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we talked about a lot last year, and one of the reasons why I wasn't as down on him as a lot of people was his bad ball metrics don't look good at all. Uh, 29th percentile on average exit velocity last season, that was his best since 2017. Uh, 29th percentile. So mm-hmm. that's really bad. But it's a little misleading because he barrels the ball. He's in the 72nd percentage, percentile in barrel Barrels total, 67th in barrel rate. Uh, Ex-Woba, 68th percentile. You know, that's pretty much where he's lived since that MVP season. He outperforms his expected metrics most of the time. They just, for whatever reason, they don't seem to capture how good of a hitter Chris Bryan is. There are outliers and everything, and he seems to be one of them. So I, I don't worry too much about the ugly batted ball data, I think, you know, where he's being drafted is devalued because we don't know where he's going to play. There was like one whisper that the Rockies might be interested in him, which would be <laughs> awesome. That would make things interesting, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think... I, I feel like Bryant's kind of the just a guy at third base, right? Who who, who you elevate no because there's not many just a guys at third yeah. base. But He's a uh, little Nolan Arenado-y. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Arenado gets a big boost because you can probably pencil in him in for 10% more plate appearances at the very least. Um, 
But the difference between them, I don't think is that big otherwise. So, you know, if Chris Bryant did end up in Colorado, I could see him hitting 290 with 35 homers. Yeah, I would definitely change things. Oh, Bryant he, would. He Bryant would. would uh, he would jump up, up quite a bit in my rankings. He would jump. I think up he'd be the, there with Riley and, and Arenado. Exactly. Yep. Probably between them. One hundred percent. Right. But you know, given that we don't know that and that his counting stats tend to be a little underwhelming, even you know, especially the run production, the RBI number tends to be pretty underwhelming. He hasn't had more than seventy-seven in a season since that MVP twenty sixteen. I do think Chris Bryant is. Sort of just a guy, but he's just a guy who has no premium on his price, you know. So I, I'm fine drafting him where he is. Yeah, I'd rather take the just a guy at third base in the eighth round versus, yeah. again, this comes down to how you feel about Austin Riley than doing it in the fourth round. Of course, I rank yeah, Austin Riley Austin ahead Riley. of Chris Bryant. I think he's going to saying Austin Riley's downside is just a guy like it. it stop calling Austin Riley just a guy. OK, well, <laughs> like, his downside I mean, are already upset that he wasn't the MVP last year. Well, they're wrong. They are wrong. But, like so, he can be like, like he was the most valuable player on the team. That's fine. But yeah, um, like I, I do think his downside is probably lower than just a guy. But like it's not like a super realistic outcome. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I, I'm more likely to draft Chris Bryant than Austin Riley. All right, let's quickly talk about Anthony Rendon. The ADP is 100.5. He is going in the ninth round. He is now 31 years old. He had surgery in the middle of August to repair a hip impingement. Before that, 240 batting average, six homers, 58 games played, a 712 OPS, which is you know far and away his lowest uh, since. I don't know, back in like 2015, basically. The four previous seasons before that, 909 OPS or better. Uh, Scott, you had the pleasure of uh, talking about expectations and projecting Alex Bregman. What do you think about Anthony Rendon? Uh, what's something that we can realistically expect from him this upcoming season? I will say 20 home runs, potentially. And, and you know, for, for most of his career in Washington, that's... That's kind of what he was. Um, he always hit for a high average, always got on base a lot. So the counting stats, apart from home runs, were pretty good. But the home runs were pretty average. And then he had that one year right before hitting three free agency, 2019, where all of these guys had career high in home runs, where he got 34 home runs. The reason I think he deserves to go a few rounds after Bregman is because he's four years older. And that makes the the drop in production scarier. It makes the injury risk more palpable. And uh, it, it makes me not have a lot of faith in him. It, it could be a great pick in round 10, but even when I've been shut out at third base to that point, I've had a hard time pulling the trigger. There's just still a lot of hitters. I trust more there. And, uh, you know, and in retrospect, I think I usually end up regretting passing on Rendon in round 10 because I end up with somebody really bad at third base. But like Rendon himself might not end up being that useful. So it's, it's it, like I was saying at the top, I feel like you're kind of reaching for everybody at third base unless you just take whatever's left. And that is a good point, too. I mean, you know, I criticize you about, you know, taking Austin Riley in the fourth round versus some of the talent that's around him. 
Well, we've been telling everyone, hey, take your chance on an upside player around pick 100, Cody Bellinger, Bobby Witt. Well, if you do that, then you're not getting Anthony Rendon and vice versa. If you want to take Anthony Rendon there, then you're probably missing out on some of those upside players like Bellinger or Yelich or Bobby Witt. So you've got to make a decision somewhere. Kyle Schwarber goes after that. I mean, round 10 is like Giancarlo Stanton territory, right? There's there's some really useful players going in that same range. Um. Go ahead, Rendon does have the potential to be like not the same kind of production as Rafael Devers, but as productive. I mean, the, yeah. the I four mean, he's, years he's prior been a second round type player yeah. before and not just the 34 homers. Yeah, the so, four yeah. years prior to 2021, there was basically no skills decline. He was between a nine, nine fifteen and a, a nine thirty seven and a, a sorry, nine oh nine to a 1,010 OPS in those four seasons, but take out the 1,010 OPS, 909, 915, 937, 915 was in 2020. There was no sign of skill slippage at all before this injury. And so, you know, his 162 game pace in those four seasons, 106 runs, 31 homers, 118 RBI, 307 batting average, nearly a walk per strikeout. So I think... Rendon is probably the last guy who you could realistically say has a chance to end up being a legitimate difference maker for your team. And he's probably the third baseman I'm going to draft the most this season, I would guess. Yeah, look, this is the end of the tier. This is what I spoke about, the top nine. So, you know, this group of Bregman, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rendon, I think, uh, you know, if you don't have a third baseman at that point, you probably really have to start to think about it once you see these names approaching on your uh, draft list. Real real quick, put a bow on this conversation. Um, Scott, who would you rather have at their cost? Bregman in the sixth, Bryant in the eighth, let's say Anthony Rendon in the ninth based on his ADP. I think I'd have to say... Bregman, I feel like there's the least chance of things really going wrong with him. I I do kind of want to echo a point Chris made there that like if you're going for maximum upside to cost at every position, like Rendon, I think is the third baseman you target. Yep. Unless it's at Alberto Montesi, I guess. Like if you're if you're totally taking risk out of the equation and just what's the best upside for the buck? Then I get the Rendon pick more. I just, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm giving him only like a thirty percent chance of realizing that outcome anymore, something like that. All right, and obviously, if I ask you the same question, Chris, you're going to go with Anthony Rendon of that group, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, and honestly, at the cost, I, I probably am going to go with Chris Bryant. So, you know, three different analysts, three different answers <laughs> there, there. Uh, and all three, I will say, Bregman, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rendon all should be standouts in points leagues. So if you play in points leagues again, like that, this is probably the range. Like you want to make sure you get one of those guys. If you don't have one mm-hmm. at that point, uh, let's get into sleepers, breakouts and bussing and quickly move through this here. And uh, sleepers, we will start with you, Chris, who you got Alec Bohm, who I was completely out on coming into 2021 when he was like a top 100 pick on average, which I just thought was ludicrous. But now he's, is he being drafted? On average, uh, I don't think so. Number 26 third baseman in NFC ADP 285.2 is his ADP. So in your standard 12 team Roto League, Alec Bohm may not get drafted. And I think there were actually some somewhat uh, good signs under his numbers last season. It was a disastrous season. He's really, really bad defender. All that stuff is true. But 
89th percentile on average exit velocity, 82nd percentile on max exit velo, 90th percentile on average in hard hit rate, 70th percentile on expected batting average. That was my question about him. Can he hit the ball hard enough? And he kind of came out and answered that question. The problem is he, you know, seems to have a vendetta against worms. And so he's trying to kill him with his swings. But if he elevates the ball just a tiny bit more and strikes out probably a significant amount less, but if he can get back into that 20% range that he was in 2020, I think Alec Bohm has some potential to emerge as a viable starting third baseman. Yeah, I probably don't want him as yeah, even a starting corner infielder on my team oh, no. or or utility bat, but you don't have to draft him that way. You could draft him on the bench and, you know, see if he gets off to a hot start, maybe he actually becomes something in your league, but I mean, this is typically the player that you should target late in your draft. Someone who is a former top prospect, he has that pedigree and he's basically being written off now and you're getting him for free. So again, like there's no not much risk involved. I like this call quite a bit. The ADP 286 for Alec Bohm. Scotty, your sleeper at third base. Like I said, I don't see a lot of room for things to get better here. Uh, to the point, I'm, I almost want to say Cabrian Hayes because <laughs> he's somebody who sort of has a chance to get better. But like, I don't like his ADP at all, so I'm not going to. I'd <sighs> rather be yeah. discouraging about him. Uh, so I'm going to say Josh Young and Jose Miranda. I'm going to pair the two prospects who are on the verge of debuting here because I feel like if you get totally burned at third base. They're your hope. Josh Young for the Rangers, Jose Miranda for the Twins. Um, Young, spelled J-U-N-G, is the more projectable of the two. He has an amazing hit tool, and they, they, they fixed his swing to get into his power more in the minors, elevating better, pulling better. And uh, his numbers were just monstrous in the minors last year. Uh, great plate discipline. I think, I think maybe after... Bobby Witt, he might be the top prospect to target. I I know he won't be. I know Adley Rushman's going to go ahead and maybe Julio Rodriguez too, and, and that's fine. But I think it may actually be Josh Young who's up the soonest and impacting, making an impact in fantasy. As amazing as Young's numbers were, Miranda's were probably even better for the Twins. Uh, Jose Miranda is the cousin of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I just want to mention that because <laughs> it's amazing. And like he like the numbers he put up were like Pujolsian. Like they were just absurd. The strikeout rate was very low. And he always showed good contact skills in the minors. It just the the story is he figured out how to attack the pitches that he can do damage on and did a lot of damage. Positionless player, so he doesn't show up very high in, in like the real world prospect rankings. It's not clear he's really capable of handing handling third base or anywhere else. But the twins have a lot of holes. And uh, he's at an age where he needs to be up. So I expect him to be up soon. And if, if he gets consistent at bats, it could pay big dividends in fantasy. Yeah, I guess you could say he is not throwing away his shot. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, let's save that for when he's up and playing well. No, no, we're using it okay. now. I do like those call outs quite a bit in a few draft and hold leagues that I've done. If I've waited at the position, I've done five drafts so far. And I wound up with Justin Turner in two of them, Cabrian Hayes in one. Uh, it's it's not pretty. Uh, Jose Ramirez in another. Obviously, that's great, but that's based on you know draft position. And uh, right. Nolan Arenado in the other. So if you wind up with like a Turner or one of these like true fallback options, then 
yeah, why not take one of these prospects who have quite a bit of upside and uh, see if you can hit on one of those guys very late in your draft. Sleeper for me, this is more so just undervalued. It's Josh Donaldson. I get it. He's old, hamstring, calf injuries. He's not going to play a full complement of games. I realize that, but his ADP is 194.3. Last year, he finished as the 125th player in Roto. He averaged 2.8 fantasy points per game. That was good enough to be a top two, four, six, eight, top 10 third baseman in fantasy points per game. 2.8 is not a great number. That's just relative to this position, a reminder of just how bad third base is. But by all accounts, I mean, Josh Donaldson still crushed the ball, absolutely crushed the ball. You look at his stat cast page, it's a sea of red. I think that the Twins lineup is going to be better. Jose Miranda, hopefully involved uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, I think he'll probably get more games at DH this upcoming season. So hopefully that's something that can keep Donaldson uh, healthy. So he's, he's just going too late. I get it. He's old. He's boring. He's a veteran, but um, he's undervalued. So I like Josh Donaldson and as a sleeper. He's not actually boring. Yeah. You know, that, him and Justin and Turner are, I think, two excellent fallback options. For sure. Uh, all right. Breakout. And we will start with Scott this time. Who you have as a breakout at third base? Uh, so I'm not going to need long for this one. Again, you could just as easily call him a bust, but I'm going to say Adalberto Mondesi. Wouldn't it be something if this is the year people seem like they've kind of soured on him. The Royals are talking him down and wouldn't it be awesome if this was the year he finally put it on to get all together, stayed on the field. It would be, it would be, it will, it will have been a good time to invest in him if that's the case. Like I said, probably not going to do a lot of it myself, but him being third base eligible now instead of shortstop makes it makes it more likely that I would. Than so what you're that. saying is that Alberto Mondesi is going to be a bust in 2023 drafts. <laughs> we'll see how 2022 goes. But yes, if it does play out as well as it, best case scenario, if he gets his best case scenario in 2022, then yeah, probably fade in 2023. All right, Chris, breakout, third base. Anthony Rendon, bounce backs or breakouts. I already talked about it. I think the underlying skill set has shown very little signs of decline outside of the injury. The injury is concerning, hip injuries. Obviously, the older you get, I've got a bad hip myself. I understand it. But uh, yeah, if he bounces back to pre-2021 numbers, he's going to be one of the best values in drafts. Chris says he has a bad hip, but he plays in a flag football league. So like really... How bad is that hip, Chris? I have to I have to get stretched out like <laughs> twice a day. Chris just is like to like make it through my day. Chris is one of those old guys who shows up to the the flag football and is like his buddies are stretching him out. They're just like oh, yeah. moving yeah. the leg one way, moving the leg another way, and and stretching yeah. stretching oh, you out yeah. there, Chris. Uh, Scotty, I believe I'm with you, Josh Young. I, I think if we're talking about a prospect who can break out, uh, I I do like him quite a bit. Third base prospect for the Texas Rangers. The other one I'll call out is Jamer Candelario. And I don't think he has true league-winning potential, but he was really, really good in the second half last year. 282 batting average, 11 home runs, and 882 OPS. And that Tigers lineup is improving. Javier Baez, prospects are coming, Spencer Torkelson, uh, Riley Green as well. So the counting stats could be better as well. I, I don't know that he has 300 batting average, 30 homer potential, but you know if he hits like 280 with 25 home runs and, and really strong counting stats. He's a great value where he's going. Um, he, he had a he had a big second half, um, and I, I think he led the majors in doubles right for the whole season. Yep, uh, the American. Oh no, the majors. Yeah, it's italicized as well as bolded. Yeah, 279.8 is the ADP for Candelario. So again, if you manage to miss out on everyone else, it 
might not be the worst uh, last resort there in Tamer Candelario. A bust. We will start with Chris. I may have written this in your spot, but I feel like we might actually agree on this anyway. So I'll just you know stick with it. Austin Riley. It just. I think there are ways. There are more ways for the, for him at his price to go wrong than for him at his price to go right. And uh, I think he's a more volatile player than he showed last season. So yeah. Scotty bust third base. So just like it's not a good position for sleepers and breakouts, I don't think it's a good position for bust either because so much has already gone so wrong for so many. <laughs> I'm going to say Chris Bryant here because of that 29% 29th percentile average exit velocity. You know, I'm, I'm worried about the 40-ish for Rendon and Bregman, and 29th is, is even worse. As Chris points out, he has consistently outperformed that, but... We only have a, a partial season from him in the environment with the new ball. And as we've talked about, the new ball wasn't even um, universally applied last year. It was kind of <laughs> intermittent, the use of it. So it, I, I think it could even get worse for these guys moving forward. And if Bryant seems like somebody who could fall victim to that. Bust for me is Austin Riley as well. What a jag. Scott and the Braves fans are going to kill me. Kill me for this one. Uh, no, I, I don't think that there's like bottom out potential for Austin Riley. I just personally think that he's overvalued where he's going. So I'll, I think I'll leave bottom it. out potential. I'll leave it there. Uh, I'll, AD- I'll, I'll be the one to say it. Scott's a coward. Ooh. <laughs> Frank's a coward. <laughs> How dare you? ADP review. Let's wrap up here. These are for 12 team leagues in the first round. Jose Ramirez going at 4.5. The second round, Rafael Devers at pick 17, Manny Machado at 22.8. Almost 25 picks later in the fourth round, Austin Riley, 46.3. In round five, Nolan Arenado, an ADP of 57.5. In the sixth round, Alberto Mondesi at 66.5. You're going to see that probably three to four rounds later in a points league. Alex Bregman is 69.8. In the eighth round, Chris Bryant, 86.8. In the ninth round, Anthony Rendon at pick 100.5. There are two going between picks 110 and 145 on average. DJ LeMahieu at pick 118 and Chris Taylor at pick 145. We spoke about LeMahieu on the first base preview. We spoke about Chris Taylor on the second base preview. I I don't think Taylor's third base eligible in CBS. That's probably true. Oh, fantasy pros, you, you tricked me. You got me. That, that would help the position a lot if he was. Yeah, you're right about that. There are three going from uh, picks 150 to 160, so very condensed here in this range of the draft. And if you miss out on Rendon or Bregman or Chris Bryant, then you might wind up with one of these guys. I've seen Scotty wind up with Yoan Moncada quite a bit so far in our mock drafts. The ADP for Moncada, 150.5. Cabrian Hayes at 154.8. <clears throat> and then Justin Turner... At pick 157.5, and I know that he's older, injury-prone. He was the 59th overall player in Roto last year. He averaged three fantasy points per game. When he plays, I still believe that Justin Turner is going to be really, really valuable. Scotty, what do you think about this group? Moncada, Hayes, Turner. Yeah, Turner's my favorite of them, and I've kind of, when I have gotten shut out early on at third base, Turner is the guy I, I focus on getting, but I haven't quite, you know, because I want to maximize the value, right? I, I know I have him ranked higher than the consensus. I've, I've seen him go really late sometimes, and so I'm trying to find that right point in the draft when I need to go ahead and snatch him up. Um, because so far, I've I've yet to I've yet to to land it the way I want to land it. 
yeah, I mean, the thing about him is, if as old as he is, as injury prone as he is, if if you almost have to have a backup plan, and it's just not a great, not a position where there are great backup plans. So it's 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 definitely it, it definitely shouldn't be your plan A, but there are worse plan C's out there. Yeah, uh, you can go with the old and young strategy. But um, you could take Justin Turner and then you know back it up with someone like Josh Young, and hopefully oh, between that's what you meant. those two, you get a, a quality player in fantasy baseball. Uh, Chris, at this point, I, I just don't really know where Yoan Moncada excels. It's been a weird past couple mm-hmm. of seasons. He broke out in 2019 with the juice ball, uh, did some really, really great things, hit 315, a 915 OPS. Since then, he's been a 705 OPS and a 787 OPS. He doesn't, he's not a standout in power. He's not a standout in speed. He's not a standout in batting average. I just don't really know what he provides and why his ADP, I guess, is still around pick 150. Well, and he's not a standout in terms of the, how well he hits the ball anymore. That was the thing with him, you know, in, in 2019 especially, but even before that, the, the issue was he was striking out too much, but he was doing a lot when he hit the ball. Now it's it's not quite as impressive, and so it, it's, it is a little hard to get excited about him. I, I think the underlying skill set is still really, really impressive, but I just it's very, very fair to be skeptical about his abilities to put that skill set into play, and uh, that's disappointing. I think there are two players at third base who I look at and I just say, there aren't clear signs of of there are there are there isn't anything in their profile that clearly indicates they're about to get better, but they're young enough and they've shown enough in past years that at this position where you have to see the glass half full in players, it kind of makes sense to see the glass half full with them. Makata is one, and then the one I like even more is Matt Chapman. Yes, who goes a little bit later. You're from, removed from hip surgery. Yeah, that's why I can make a clearer case for him because he, he last year was his first year off hip surgery. You could understand why he didn't impact the ball as well. It was the same hip surgery Buster Posey had. I believe it was 2018 that caused him to to be look like a diminished player in 2019 and most everybody wrote him off except for Chris Towers, it seemed like, um, <laughs> because it, it just didn't look like he had any power anymore. But then... He had more time to recover last year, bounced back with a huge year. And I'm hoping that can happen with Matt Chapman, too, who showed 40 homer potential prior to that. The other weird thing going on with Chapman, though, is just his strikeout rate has also exploded. And mm-hmm. that started the year before hip surgery. So how does that fit into that that narrative? I don't really know. Uh, one, but- one concern I'll, I'll bring up about Yohan Mankata is um, he can't hit lefties. That was there were signs of life in 2019. He had an 846 OPS against them, but he's been bad against them the last two seasons. He's got a 701 OPS against them for his career, 33% strikeout rate. That's that's the kind of thing that's just going to hold you back, you know. That's 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 kind of the long and short of it. He's going to have to be really really good against righties, and usually he's just kind of okay. Yeah. The last thing I'll add on on Cabrian Hayes, I feel like we didn't really talk about him much here, but. I feel like he's one of the hardest players to project this upcoming season because he hit a home run in either the first or second game of the season. And, you know, we're all excited. The player that's got love last year. And then he's dealing with this hand wrist injury uh, after that for basically the entirety of the season. So 
I think it's perfectly fair that that's why he was as bad as he was last year. But we also have this track record in the minors mm-hmm. where right. he wasn't wasn't really a great offensive player. So he's right. just he's just kind of a hard player to figure out at this point yeah. in the draft. Yeah, I he's think. a little old. Like he's twenty five. He's not that old, but like he's not he's not so young that you would be like, oh, there's nothing concerning about the fact that he was pretty bad last season. Yeah, yeah I I think. I still think he has upside, though, for, for some well, reason. I, I still think it's there. I don't know what that upside is. But, it's yeah. impossible to know. But what I, the way I evaluate Cabrian Hayes, even as the guy who loved him last year, is, okay, he got over 300 at-bats last year. Granted, the wrist injury was early. Maybe it was still impacting him all season. You could make that case if you want to. But which seems more likely, that it was all the wrist or that those tw- that 24 game sample where he looked amazing and showed power like he never did in the minors was just a fluky 24 game sample. Like that seems like the more likely explanation considering his minor league track record. Yeah. Than that it was Occam. all about the wrist. I can't Occam say for sure. I can't say for sure, but that's that's why it's weird to me that he's being drafted at basically the same point he was a year ago cuz now yeah. we the information we've received since then is mostly very discouraging. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely a fair point. It, most people are just throwing last year out and saying, look, he was hurt. And uh, who knows? Will he be healthy this upcoming season? I mean, this could be something that lingers as well. So ideally, probably not going to wind up with him. But I, I still think there's something there. It would not surprise me. There might happens. be some steals there, which I know is another reason why people like yeah. him. But it, it's the kind of steals range where we were talking about earlier with Manny Machado, where it could it could be 15, it could be nothing. Yeah, nine steals in 96 games last year. For what it's worth, all of the projection systems have him for double-digit steals this upcoming season. We have three more third basemen going between picks 170 and 190. The aforementioned Matt Chapman at 172.3. Eugenio Suarez at pick 187. We spoke about him on yesterday's podcast. Ryan McMahon at pick 188.3. Scott, I know that you spoke about Matt Chapman and why you like him. Chris, anything else that you'd like to add on Chappie? No, I, I agree with him, I, with Scott. I think the, the bounce back potential is really nice, and I think it's a good price for it. So um, Chapman's definitely a, a late round pick to target. Interested to see where he winds up to, because if he's traded, I think that's something that can help his value. If Matt Olson is traded away and Matt Chapman is not, then there's a real chance that the counting stats are just awful. I was looking through the Oakland A's lineup earlier today, and mm-hmm. it is bad. It is really, yeah. really bad already. And it's so. a bad place to hit. It's, yeah. you know, like, it, I could see him having a big breakout whenever he gets traded, which seems inevitable. But as long as he's yeah, in he, Oakland, I think the best case scenario is probably still something like a 250 batting average with good power. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, there was a rumor. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned it there, Scotty, about uh, Matt Chapman playing shortstop for the Yankees. I would so. love to see it. <laughs> he's my he's my favorite baseball player to watch on defense, like maybe ever. Yeah, wow. he is. He's really he good. is maybe the best third baseman I've ever seen in my life. He is. He looks. You know how I know we're at 123 minutes or an hour and 23, whatever. But you know, let's let's just go for it. You know how Legolas in Lord of the Rings is just like he he seems like he's floating on the ground. There's a scene where they're walking in the snow and everybody's like, and he's just like literally floating on top of the snow. That's what Matt Chapman looks like. He's so light on his feet. His balance is incredible. I love watching Matt Chapman and he throws like 96 miles an hour. 
Oh, love them. Have you seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Frank? No, no. I'm just going to sit here and nod my head. And yeah, I was f- solely banking on you seeing that movie. I, so. I, I actually haven't either. That was <laughs> oh, one of the holes in my wow. movie knowledge. It's, it's I've like, only seen them three times in the last year. I haven't been able to bring myself to commit the time. Oh, the, the 10 hours they, of time it'll they take. They really so. are that yeah. good. And like... I'm not going to say you should spend 12 hours watching the extended editions, <laughs> but they're worth it. Mm. <laughs> All right. Three more to go in between picks 190 and 200. Josh Donaldson at 194.3. Eduardo Escobar, 198.5. Luis Arias at pick 199, who has, I believe, triple eligibility, second, mm-hmm. third, and shortstop this upcoming season. Obviously, Chris and I like him as a breakout quite a bit. And I think Donaldson and Eduardo Escobar, perfectly fine, high floor uh, corner infielders if you need a little bit of pop at this point in the draft. A massive drop, 50 picks later in ADP. Josh Young at pick 253.7. Kevin Biggio at pick 266. Jamer Candelario at pick 279.8. Scott, Kevin Biggio is a name that we haven't mentioned all offseason, and probably for good reason. I, I really don't know. He doesn't bear mentioning. Right. You might be right. Is that it? Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he, they seem like an obvious candidate to be crushed by the new ball, and he was. Yeah. That's, I, I don't expect him to have a job for long, frankly. Yeah, that's that's also a part of it, right? Like the Jordan Groshans is coming soon for the Toronto Blue Jays. And the ADP last year for Biggio was inside of the top 70 picks. And now he's going at pick 266. But even with that, it's... Even before Groshans comes up, Kevin Smith could replace him True. for the Blue Jays. I mean. Yeah, I compared him to uh, Scott Kingery the last couple of seasons. And yikes. Yikes, indeed. Three more going between picks 280 and 300. Alec Bohm at 286. G. Urshela at 290. Patrick Wisdom at pick 292.3. Obviously, Chris likes Bohm quite a bit. Uh, G. Urshela, I don't know that he's going to play every day for the Yankees at this point. I mean, he was kind of banged up last year. I think there's probably some potential at this point in the draft. Not overly excited to draft him. Patrick Wisdom, lots of power, lots of strikeouts. So, mm-hmm. I, I think a pretty low batting average, but... Um, high variance player that's probably worth investing in at his price because if he's able to keep the job 40 home runs is in play I think for him and that would obviously do a lot of good he might hit 210 but you'll you'll take it if 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 the cost is next to nothing 300 plus ADP Jonathan VR 309.8 Abraham Toro Hernandez 318.7 Mike Mustakis 343.3 Hunter Dozier at 346 Jose Miranda prospect for the Twins 365.7 and Evan Longoria at 371.5 um Chris, the, the one thing I'll point out from this group, Evan Longoria, if you're just looking for that long shot to be this year's Joey Votto, uh, I think Longoria could be that guy. It, as long as he stays on the field, the stack has data has been amazing. Yeah, before I went with Alec Bohm, Longoria was my uh, sleeper pick. The stack has data going back to the start of 2020 season really has been really, really good. He was actually quite useful for stretches last season. So, yeah, I think Evan Longoria is a nice player to have around. All right, prospects you know, could be could be Justin Turner esque. Prospects to know this upcoming season. Obviously, we talked about Josh Young and Jose Miranda quite a bit. Scott Miguel Vargas with the Dodgers, Brett Beatty with the Mets, Mark Vientos with the Mets, and Curtis. I'm going to go with Mead. Curtis Mead of the Tampa Bay Rays. I hope 
Yeah, that, that's got to be how you pronounce it, of course. Uh, Scott, anyone stand out on this list for you? I, I mean, they're good prospects. I, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if any of them played, spent more than half a season in the majors. I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if if none of them appeared in the majors at all. I think Vientos of the Mets, he's already been to AAA, and he he performed at like a fifty homer pace last year. If 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 you projected it out over one hundred sixty games. So it's pretty exciting, um, but they may never have a real need for him. Vargas is is kind of yeah, why the Mets. Miguel Vargas is depending on how he progresses this year in the minors. I I could see the Dodgers kind of pushing Justin Turner aside finally because he's he's of the prospects you just mentioned. He's the most exciting in terms of upside. Uh, so keep an eye on him. Don't say that, Scott. I mean, if Justin Turner gets pushed to the side, at least two of my teams that I've already drafted are dead. So I, I hope that doesn't happen. But uh, it's possible. It's, it is possible with, with somebody as old as Justin Turner. We're going to wrap there for Scotty and Chris. I hope you're enjoying these position previews because you're getting a lot of them. You're getting a lot of content here. Uh, I am Frank Sample. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.